you no doubt have realized that in telling their stories and learning lessons from these old stories, we are actually examining the story of God's dealing with his ancient people, the Israelites. And we're discovering in that story of God's dealing with his old people lessons for us today, the people of God, the Church of Jesus Christ. In preaching, I and my colleagues have tried to avoid the simple, obvious, moral of the story kind of thing. Ultimately, all of those can be distilled down to don't be like those guys when they were bad, when they were sinful or disobedient or stupid, but do be like them when they are wise or faithful. I think that learning the deeper lessons that God has for us is best accomplished when we, re- we remember that the main character in all of these stories, the protagonist, is God himself. We learn those lessons when we ask, what do we learn about God and his way and his will from this part of his word? We have moved chronologically through the story, through the meta-narrative, the great story of God's dealing with people. Starting way back in July with Abraham, the father of all who believe. And moving through Jacob and Joseph to Moses, who led the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. And then last week, Joshua. To track with all these characters is to trace the record of God's dealing with his people. So today we come to Gideon and his story, or I should say God's story from the life of Gideon. To bring you up to date, God has rescued Israel from Egypt. He has seen them through their wilderness wandering. And just last Sunday, under Joshua's leadership, he has brought them into the promised land. And they found that that land that God gave them was just as God had promised. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. That is, it had abundant natural resources. But they also discovered, as God had told them, that the land was occupied by enemies of God and his people who would have to be subdued and conquered. And little by little, they've moved into the land and they've settled there. And years have passed as we pick up the story with Gideon. We discover that somewhere along the way, Israel has stopped serving and worshiping the Lord, Yahweh. They have given their devotion to all the gods of the nations surrounding them. The people of the lands around them, the the very people that they had been warned about, the people that they were supposed to subdue, the nations before whom they were supposed to be God's light, the people of God revealing the greatness and character of God to all the people around them. The Israelites were special. They were the chosen people of God, and they were supposed to be acting like it. They were to fulfill God's purpose, which was to demonstrate to the people all around what a difference it makes when the one true and only living God, the Lord Yahweh, is God. But they'd failed to do this, the Israelites had. And now they found themselves surrounded by their enemies. And by the time of today's story, the Hebrew people are an oppressed people. They are living in fear 
of all those nations that surrounded them. You see, the other side of God's promise had now been fulfilled. God had said that he would bless them with peace and prosperity as long as they obeyed and served him. And now that they were no longer obeying and serving God, they didn't know that peace and prosperity. One particular people called the Midianites began to attack the people of God as they were living in the land that God had given them. And by the time of today's story told in Joshua chapter 6 and 7, every year for seven years, the Midianites had swooped in on their camels and stolen or destroyed the newly harvested crops of the Israelites. Now you need to know that the camel was the -the state-of-the-art military transport vehicle in those days. It was able to cover over 100 miles a day with no food and very little water. It was able to carry huge burdens. And so the Midianites launched these raids which the Israelites endured, these raids from the east against which the Israelites were defenseless. And every year for seven years, just as the crops were being gathered and harvested, the Midianites would ride in on their camels. Now, they were smart thieves. They waited until the grain had been collected, and then they struck without notice to make off with Israel's food. It had gotten so bad that the Israelites had taken to the hills. They were living in the caves and gullies and canyons with whatever they could carry. They were hoping that they had saved enough to carry them through until the next year's harvest. You can read all about their dire situation in the first verses of Judges chapter 6. The Midians are described there as swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. That's verse 6 of chapter 6. So that's the situation when we first meet Gideon. It had finally dawned on the Israelites that they are suffering because they had forgotten the Lord who had brought them out of Egypt to the land, the Lord who had saved them. It took seven years of suffering and a visit from a prophet from God who goes unnamed in this account. It took all of that for them to realize the root of their oppression. They were desperate and despairing because they had forgotten the Lord. But the Lord had not forgotten them. And one day at harvest time, God visited Gideon. He visited Gideon while Gideon was trying to do something that was very difficult, if not almost impossible. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now that needs to be explained because most of us don't know what threshing is and we don't know what a wine press is. So let's go back to the basics. Wheat is made into flour, which is made into bread. You all knew that. Wheat grows on a long stalk with grains or kernels at the end of that stalk. Some of you didn't know that. You thought flour just came in bags. 
the kernel of the wheat has to be separated from the stalk before you can grind the wheat into flour. And that separating is called threshing. That process of separating the straw, the shaft, the stalk, from the wheat, which is made into flour, is called threshing. And threshing was usually done on a threshing floor. It was a big open surface with a hard ground or a hard floor. And the stalks would be beaten. Sometimes oxen would be driven back and forth on those stalks until the grain detached from the stalk. And then the stalk would be gathered and used as straw, which isn't the same as hay, but that's a whole other lesson in agriculture. And the grain would be stored to later be ground into flour to make bread. And bread was the staff of life in the ancient Middle East as it is to this day in a good part of the world. But when God visits Gideon, he is not threshing on a threshing floor. He is threshing in a wine press. A wine press was a trough or a tub carved out of or sometimes into stone. And the grapes would be put into that press and then they would be stomped on. And I know that raises visions of I Love Lucy in some of your minds, but so be it. The grapes would be stomped on in this press or something would be rolled over them so they were crushed and the juice would be released and it would flow out and be used to make wine. So Gideon is threshing his wheat in the wine press because he doesn't want to be on an open area with his grain. He's hidden away uh, using a, sm a much smaller implement to thresh his wheat. Him threshing his wheat in the wine press is a sign of just how bad things had become in Israel. The people of God are desperate. Gideon is just trying to eke out a little bit of a harvest before the Midianites come riding in on their camels to steal it and take it away. It's a pathetic scene, really, that points to how far from God's blessing Israel had fallen. And while Gideon is threshing his wheat, the Lord comes and addresses him in a way that is very surprising. Now, you'd be surprised anyway if God spoke to you audibly, but what God says to Gideon is really surprising. This is verse 12 of chapter 6. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Get the picture? Gideon is anything but the mighty warrior that that situation demanded. He is a scared peasant farmer threshing his wheat in secret, afraid that the Midianites would get it. And if we were to act this out as a little play, the guy playing the part of Gideon at this point would hear the voice of God, and then he would look around as if to say, where, who, what, what, me? Mighty warrior. How'd I do with that, by the way? That was an audition for the Christmas play. <laughs> Mighty warrior. But that's not the description of him that Gideon responds to first. He'll get to that later. Rather, the first questions 
that Gideon asks are about the statement of God, the Lord is with you. And Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where all are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? You see, Gideon is speaking for all the children of Israel, all the descendants of Abraham, when he asks, really? If the Lord is with us, then why do we suffer? And that's the question despairing people ask. Where is God when it hurts? And then Gideon follows that question with an accusation. The Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. That's verse 14. The Lord has abandoned us. God doesn't answer that accusation. He doesn't refute the charge. I think one sign of God's goodness is that he doesn't deal with us harshly when we've got it completely wrong. How exasperated God must get, or at least how exasperated I would get if I were God. I think you'd agree it's a good thing that I'm not. He doesn't try to refute the charge. He lets the accusation bounce off, and he he simply says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel. The preacher Stuart Briscoe identified the problem that Gideon and the Israelites had as a theological one. He said they were mistaken in their understanding of God. Briscoe wrote that the Lord Jehovah is present among his people was one of the things at the very core of the Jewish religion. God lived among his people. That was one of the things that they were supposed to hold on to, whatever else happened. The problem was this. They were beginning to look at their circumstances rather than their theology. When you look at your theology through your circumstances, then when the circumstances become difficult, you begin to change your theology. People quite often say, yes, I believe certain things, and then their circumstances become rather difficult, Briscoe writes. And instead of looking at their circumstances in the context of what they believe about God, they allow their circumstances to change what they believe about God. The Lord is with you, God said to Gideon. However desperate the situation, however much you despair, one thing hasn't changed. The Lord is with you. From the beginning of the history of his people, God has promised, I will be with you. He promised that to Abraham. We saw that. To Isaac. He demonstrated that to Joseph, even when Joseph was in the foreign land of Egypt. He repeated it to Moses time and again, both before and during the long years of the Exodus. I will be with you. And he promised it to his people as they stood on the threshold of the promised land. He promised it to Joshua. I will be with you. Now, I'm acutely aware of who I'm speaking to this morning. I know many of you quite well. And I'm getting to know the rest of you as we move forward into this wonderful adventure that we set out on last December. I know something of your lives and your situations, your circumstances and your problems. 
your current difficulties and your dreams and fears for the future. I know something of what you've left behind to come to worship today. And I even know something of that which you weren't able to leave behind but have dragged with you into our worship gathering this morning. Whatever you're facing, whatever marauding Midianites you fear in your life, whatever wine press you're trying to thresh in, however your circumstances have changed, know that God has not changed. He keeps his promise. The Lord is with you. And it's natural for us to ask, as Gideon did, well, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And the honest answer to that question of why is always, I don't know. I don't know. In the case of the Israelites here, the reason was not that God wasn't with them, but they had disobeyed him and forgotten him. That's why all of this suffering had come upon them. He had told them that things would go well if they remembered him and kept his commandments and followed after him. But if they did not, there would be consequences. And now they are suffering the consequences. So sometimes the difficult things we experience are the result of our disobedience. But sometimes they are the result of somebody else's disobedience. And sometimes it's just the fallenness of human people. I guess that's the only kind of people there are. Human people. It's their fallenness that causes us pain. And Gideon asks, where are all the miracles? Where are all his wonders? Remember, this is generations after the Exodus. All of the original wilderness wanderers are dead. But stories have been passed down from parents to children. Miracles that God had worked to rescue them, to feed them, to heal them, to protect them, to guide them, to defeat their enemies. And Gideon is asking, why isn't God working now like he did then? And again, God does not answer that question asked out of despair. Instead, he provides evidence that he is already at work to save his people. He simply says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And then what follows in chapter 6 there in Judges may sound familiar because it's very similar to the conversation that Moses had with God when God spoke to Moses out of that burning bush and called him to go back to Egypt to lead the people of Israel out to the promised land. Like Moses, Gideon asks questions that are questions of identity and ability and authority. Moses asked, who am I that I should go and tell Pharaoh to let the people go? Gideon asked, don't you know that I am the weakest one in my family and that my family is the weakest family in the clan and that my clan is the weakest clan in the tribe and that my tribe is one of the puniest tribes in all of Israel? Moses asked, who, who shall I say sent me? He was saying Pharaoh and the Egyptians, not to mention the Hebrews themselves, will want to see some ID. God, your ID, whom shall I say sent me? Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? 
And to those questions, both with Moses and with Gideon, God replied, I am, and that's enough. I am with you. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites as if they were but one man. That's Judges 6, 14 and following. And then God begins to move Gideon from despairing about the situation to depending on him for whom there are no situations. And I think you know the rest of the story. You can read it in the 6th and 7th chapter of the book of Judges. And I hope you do read it. How God graciously put up with Gideon's demands for signs. How Gideon saw the root issue correctly that it was one of what God they were worshiping and that moved him to tear down the shrines at which God's people were worshiping all these false gods. How Gideon still needed confirmation from God that God would do what he said he would do. And then how Gideon led an army that God reduced from 32,000 fighting men to just 10,000 and then to just 300 and armed them with only torches in clay jars and trumpets to blow. And how that night the Midianites were defeated and Israel was saved, all accomplished in such a way that you just had to believe that it was God who fought the battle. It is God who gives the victory. It is God to whom belongs all praise and glory. And what is true for Israel and Gideon as they faced the Midianite threat is true for you if you are a person of God, whatever threats you are facing. That's the rest of Gideon's story. A story of the movement from despairing to depending. But how about the rest of your story? Hear the word of the Lord coming to you in the midst of your despair. I will be with you. You look at your resources and they don't amount to much. Certainly there's not enough there to save you from whatever marauding Midianites threaten you. And if you're honest, you have to admit that you don't have enough to defeat the forces of evil that assault you. You are done for. You are toast. There's no hope. There's only despair. Except for this. I will be with you says the Lord. You know that's one of Jesus' names. Emmanuel. God with us. Somebody long ago put it this way. One person plus God equals a majority. You like that arithmetic? One person plus God equals a majority. Go in the strength that you have. It's not much, but it doesn't matter. God matters. And God is enough. Are you moving out of despairing into depending? Amen. That means, Lord, let it be so in my life and in your life. Let it be so. Let's stand for the benediction.